The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's up? It's your boy Dean Thomas here, and thanks for stopping by and having a listen. This is my new show. They gave me another episode. They let me do another one. As if I needed a new fucking show, they let me do another episode of my new fucking show. This show's called Dean's Got Answers. Answers to what? Answers to anything and everything. In this show, I'm going to break down the questions you have about the UFC, provide my answers. They may not be the answers you're looking for, but that's not why you're tuning in, right? You want to hear from me, Dean Thomas. I'm a UFC vet, coach of the biggest names in the sport, co-star of Dana White looking for a fight, host of the Dean Diaries. I'm an analyst, podcaster. Man, I've done it all. You name it, I've done it. But I'm going to keep this show simple. Each episode, I'm going to tackle three questions about the UFC, give you my take, my opinion, and answer to each. I'll hit on everything from the fun and wild moments of the sport to the inner workings of the sport. No question is off limits. Oh, you know what else I'm going to do? Every episode, I'm going to slide up into the Rolodex, holla at a homie for a second opinion. I'm going to bring on the biggest names in the sport and see if they agree or disagree with me on any subject. On this episode, I'll break down and answer the following questions. First, what are the best rivalries in the UFC and why are they so important? And no, it's not Dana White versus Dina White, even though I think Dina White would win. Second, why is wrestling so effective in MMA? Tough son of a bitches. And third, what the fuck is up with? And I'm going to talk about some crazy moments in the sport. This week, Kamar Usman getting knocked out by Leon Edwards at UFC 278 and the craziness of three fights being switched at UFC 279. We're going to cover it all. So turn up the volume, kick back, take heed to the words I speak, and let's go. The UFC's had so many iconic moments, but what really makes for some of the best fights in history are the rivalries across the sport. And what are some of the best rivalries in UFC history? Well, for it to be a true rivalry, both competitors have to have equal stakes and fighting for the same thing. Rivalries generally take time to build, but both parties have to accept that there's a rivalry. Like, I can't just exclaim, I have an acting rivalry with Samuel L. Jackson. He gonna be like, motherfucker, who are you? Get it? Even in fighting, I've never had any true rivalries. The closest I've gotten to a true rivalry was Kyle Uno, and he beat me twice. He was like, motherfucker, who are you? Nobody. So, the first rivalry involves two icons. Chuck the Iceman Liddell and Tito the Huntington Beach bad boy Ortiz. They fought three times. They were friends. They were the first true brands of MMA. 
Now, in the first fight, Chuck knocked Tito out in the second round of UFC 47. That was back in 2004. The second fight, two years later, UFC 66, Chuck TKO'd him again to defend the light heavyweight belt. The third fight, this was eight years later. Now, this is when both guys were old and battered and washed up. Tito finally got his revenge and knocked Chuck out in the first round. Now, at this time, both guys didn't have much left, but Tito proved to have a little bit more than Chuck did. But was this rivalry settled? I don't give a damn what they think. This rivalry was settled. The second rivalry is one of my all-time favorites, and that's between John Jones and Daniel D.C. Cormier. This leads to one of the greatest off-camera moments captured, and this is where John Jones and D.C., they were on satellite cameras, and John asked D.C., are you still there? Are you still there? Oh, it was great. You got to see it. You got to Google that. But the whole thing really started with a scuffle at a promo event at UFC 178. They were on stage doing a stare down. John presses his forehead against DC's. DC shoves him by the throat, punches the throne, fight ensues. Ultimately, John gets fined $50,000 and has to do 40 hours of community service. Apparently, he hasn't even done that yet. I don't know. But the fights were great. Both of them, they fought twice. The first fight, UFC 182. John beat DC by unanimous decision. Then they fought again. This time, John knocks him out. However, John tested positive for a steroid, and the fight was declared a no contest. One of my greatest rivalries ever. Was it settled? Hell to the no. I bet you if they saw each other in the street now, they would probably go at it right now. There's still a rivalry between the two. In fact, I said something to DC the other day about John Jones, and I saw the look on his face. His face got cold like he wanted to bite me. That rivalry was never settled. The next rivalry involves one of the best trash talkers and the most popular fighter in UFC history, and that's Conor McGregor. Now, while many claim to have a rivalry with Conor, only Dustin Poirier had a legit rivalry with him. In their first fight back at UFC 178, this was Conor's first legit test. This was to see if he had the skill to match his mouth. Guess what? It did. He knocked Dustin out cold in the first round. Seven years later, they met again in Abu Dhabi at UFC 257. This was a different Conor. Now, even though he showed up to Abu Dhabi on a luxury yacht, he was very cordial and respectful leading up to the fight. He even promised to donate $500,000 to Dustin's charity foundation. They fight. Dustin knocks him out cold. A few weeks goes by, and Dustin's on the internet like, Yo, dog, where my money at? Where that money at? You said you was going to donate to the kids. They go back and forth for some time and later revealed Connor did in fact donate money, but to a different charity in Dustin's hometown. Obviously, this caused tension going into the third fight. In the third fight at UFC 264, Connor breaks his leg at the end of the first round in a fight he was clearly losing. Couldn't continue, and Dustin is declared the winner by TKO. Guys, I got to tell you, this rivalry is over. No one wants to see that again. Dustin proved to be the better fighter, proved to be the better man. Now, the last rivalry involves two of the very best welterweights of all time. Took them three fights to settle this one. This involves George St. Pierre and the great Matt Hughes. The first fight was at UFC 50 in 2004, and this was for the vacant welterweight title. Now, keep in mind, Matt was already a proven badass, and George was kind of the up-and-comer coming up from Canada. Now, this fight played out. We thought it would. Matt armbarred him in the first round. That was George's first loss. 
and he admitted to being in awe of Matt going into that fight, which is most likely true because when they fought again, George kicked him in the head at UFC 65, claiming the welterweight championship. Now, I remember being in the tough house with George and him saying, man, I don't like that Matt Hughes guy. I can't wait to fight him again. Proved out for the better. The rivalry wasn't settled. They fought again at UFC 79. George armbarred him and proved to be the better fighter. He squashed it. I'd say this rivalry is settled. Now, why are rivalries so important? Well, the reality is, is they create a storyline that we get interested in and that people can follow and people can get invested in. And when you're invested in the fighters, you're more likely to watch and root for one of the guys. This is why rivalries are important. Batman is nothing without the Joker. Every fighter needs a rival in order to make them great, in order to make the storyline great, in order to make the sport better. Rivalries are great for the sport. Why is wrestling so effective in MMA? I'm going to break down exactly why wrestling is such a good base for starting mixed martial arts and winning fights in the UFC. First off, let me say this. I sucked at wrestling. I wasn't very good at it. It was bad on my knees. It was hard. It hurt to do. And I just like choking people anyway. So I wasn't very good at wrestling. So that was a neglected part of my game, which is why I thought I lost a lot of fights. The fights that I lost was due to a lack of wrestling. So wrestling is important, kids. However, it's not the technique of wrestling that I think makes them so successful in MMA. It is the mindset that they have. It is the fact that they learn how to dominate from an early age. The very first thing you learn in wrestling is how to dominate. Put somebody on their back and don't allow them to move. Control them. Grab the wrist. In jiu-jitsu, it's self-defense, respect. Other martial arts, respect honor integrity and wrestling i'm not saying wrestling is void of those things but the most important part of wrestling is dominate competition and that is the reason why they are so successful let's look at some of the current ufc champions bantamweight champion aljamain sterling two-time ncaa division three all-american comes from a wrestling base and then strawweight champion carla esparza all-american at menlo college NAIA division school. Wrestlers have always been able to dominate in these areas because, again, that mindset. They just learn from a young age that competition is the goal. They learn how to work hard and to push and have an intensity like no other combat athlete on the planet. And to prove it, I'm going to holler at a homie. And now it gives me great honor to bring up my friend, my partner, my homie three-time national champion at West Virginia, coach at Killcliff FC, my man, Greg Jones. Greg, what's up? Man, no one does an intro like Dean Thomas, man. Thank you, my brother. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Well, we're on the show today talking about wrestling. Now, you obviously have a, a very high pedigree in wrestling. Before we get into it in relation to MMA, I just kind of want to talk to you about your, your history in wrestling. Now, you were a three-time national champ, and now you coach a lot of fighters in wrestling. How has being a three-time national champ helped you? You know, I, I think from a from a competitive standpoint, I think overall that's something that no matter no matter what, what walk of life you come from, I think fighters fighters tend to recognize and respect someone that has achieved a certain thing. Um, so I think part of that gives me, at least backing up when I first started this, it, it, it gave me permission to walk in 
And even though I haven't been exposed to MMA fighting before, it gave me a permission to walk in and, and uh, be trusted and be respected by the athletes. I can agree with that. I always feel like fighters don't respect anybody unless they do it. And But wrestling is a situation where it's like, no, but like fighters get beat up by wrestlers all the time, like in, in wrestling. So like they always respect wrestlers. So you being a national champ and one of the greatest college wrestlers in in our history, I mean, I, obviously I can see why they respect you so so heavily. Now talking about these guys, I mean, you've coached Derek Brunson, Gilbert Burns, Usman, Chandler, Rashad Evans. I mean, how's that been working with such high level athletes? Well, first I said you touched on something something. Uh really important there. We have a lot of serious athletes and a lot of serious fighters. And I think they understand the importance of what my role is and the things that I'm able to do and teach for them. A lot of times, you know, eight guys out of 10 in a wrestling, in an MMA gym, eight guys out of a 10, wrestling's probably their weakest spot. Cause it's probably, it's, a, it's the most time consuming and probably the most difficult to learn. So, um, so that immediately gives me some credibility off the jump, right? As far as working with athletes, um, these high-level athletes, uh, it's great. I really enjoyed my job as a college coach. At, at the heart of me, I'm a wrestler, right? That's always going to be my home. That's always going to be part of my identity. I think I was pretty good at that job, but I think uh, training MMA fighters kind of matches up with some of my strengths more than coaching collegiate wrestling, uh, both from a sports standpoint and just from a kind of a psychological standpoint. I line up very well with my eye and my mind, uh, and I think translates very well to MMA fighting. Now, the big question here is, why does wrestling translate well into MMA? Why? I would make the argument that it has very little to do with actual wrestling. I think it has very little to do with how good your double or single leg is. I think it's committing to something very difficult over a long period of time. I think repetition has something to do with it. Some people say I started wrestling at four years old. That seems kind of crazy to me. So we'll just say I started wrestling at six years old. So I had no memory of starting wrestling, right? Right. From the time I was six years old to I hit the ninth grade, we're talking somewhere in neighborhood of 100 matches, 100 competition repetitions mm -hmm. for 13 years. Whereas you play soccer or whatever, growing up developmentally, you decide to become a fighter. You step in to your first amateur fight with no competition reps, right? You become a professional fighter. Maybe you get, you're starting off 0-0. Maybe you're able to get six competition repetitions in that first year you're fighting. Wrestling, just as intense, I would argue maybe more difficult. I got how many thousands of competition repetitions before I'm stepping in the cage at 21 years old, right? Right. Thousands upon thousands. So when I mean competition reps, I mean going through that entire process, the, the making weight, the build up to a fight, all the different feelings and emotions that go along with stepping on the mat or in the cage with someone wanting to physically hurt you. Because remember, we're not scoring points with a ball. We're physically and mentally right. imposing our will on our opponent. So by the time I step in the cage as a lifelong wrestler, I have thousands and thousands of reps on you who played soccer or football or whatever growing up developmentally. See, now I love that. I was, I mean, I, I said exactly almost the same thing, um, but I didn't even take into account the reps of competition experience that you get. For me, it was more so the mindset 
of wrestling because it's all about dominating. Like that's the absolute purpose of wrestling is to dominate while other things are different. You know, we're talking about, you know, you start jujitsu, it's like respect and self-defense and the opposite of dominate. So like you're kind of going in the opposite direction of competition. So I think I think it's absolutely great with the way you articulated that. Now, what do you think goes into becoming a great wrestler? That's not an easy question. Um, there's a lot of time, hours, and repetitions. It comes to before we even have the conversation of being great. When I say to wrestlers that move the fighting or even kickboxers that jump the fighting, the same thing that makes you a good wrestler, the same attributes and traits, character traits that make you a good wrestler, those same traits will make you a good MMA fighter. If you're a kickboxing world champion, it takes a certain psychological makeup, a certain seizing, a certain development to a certain point to be a kickboxing world champion. It's those same qualities that you're applying to MMA. So now we just, instead of focusing on this over here, now we just got to broaden our skill set, build a foundation, start small, focus on, you know, two, three, four subtle, but very important techniques or actions or concepts. So I would say to answer that question simply, I would say the same things that make a good wrestler also make a good MMA fighter. All right. Now, obviously you talked about the repetitions, the years of repetitions that wrestlers have over other martial artists when they get there. Now, let's say you come from a different background. Would you say that there's anything that, that they can do to make up that difference, to catch up to wrestlers, to get the same type of mentality? I would say, you know, I I hate these all these like graphic t-shirts and shit, but I, I, I read a t-shirt and it didn't make much sense to me. Well, it made sense to me. It just, I couldn't figure out the purpose of it. They said, the t-shirt said, the best way to swim faster is by swimming. Right. So you gotta wrestle. So that's it. I, I, I don't know how. I mean, obviously in MMA, you can complement other skill sets to make up for your lack of wrestling, right? Right. But the only way to do it, the only way to do it is to wrestle. It's to wrestle. And what I what what I try to do with my group is I try to, I don't really teach my guys how to wrestle, um, but I do try to hack the learning process, putting them in a different, different situations and different scenarios, trying to get them to look beyond the real fine details of the technique that they're trying to uh, trying to accomplish by focusing on the broader base concepts that tie into not just wrestling, but also overall athleticism and fighting skills. If I can get them, put them in a situation to get repetitions by getting out of their own way mentally, and then we, we kind of jumpstart the learning process and then we get to a certain point that I start over and I kind of rebuild and I rebuild and I repeat and I rebuild and I repeat uh, where, you know, each time I reset, I'm generally a little bit further along. So we can slowly build that wrestling box. Greg, all the best to you. I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me. Thank you very much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and best of luck to you and all the rest of your fight team. Cheers, brother. Wrestlers win fights, yeah? Peace. So to answer the question, why is wrestling so effective in MMA? Again, from my standpoint, it's the mindset, the intensity of domination. Or as Greg Jones just explained to you guys, it's the repetition of competition. Getting reps from an early age. Like he said, they have hundreds of matches, thousands of matches of one-on-one -on -one battles even before they get to a fight. So by the time they get to a fight, 
They are already prepared because they have those repetitions. That's why wrestling is so effective in MMA. It's been a hot minute since the last episode, and there's been a bunch of wild-ass stuff going around, and I gotta discuss it. What the fuck is going on with all these wild-ass fights around the UFC? Now, I was there to witness a very special, epic comeback from arguably the most dangerous man in the welterweight division. I was there on the call, I saw it, and I took a lot of heat from this because going into that fifth round, Leon Edwards looked like a defeated man. And I'm going to say he was a defeated man. I'm not going to say that he is still not, he's not a good fighter or he still wasn't capable of winning, but going into that last round, he was a defeated man. You could see it in his body language. He wouldn't look up at his coach, he slumped down in his chair. He just looked like he was trying to get out of the fight. And he did. You know how he got out of the fight? By knocking Kamar Usman out. Because the moment, and DC didn't have to call me out the way he did. He was like, and Dean Thomas said, right, <laughs> and right before the knockout, bow! Leon Edwards sets Kamar Usman up, throws the fake, throws the fake left, puts up the left high kick, bow! Kamar Usman goes out. And the world has changed. First, Leon Edwards' nickname is Rocky. Why? I never understood why his nickname was Rocky. It never made sense to me why his nickname was Rocky. Now it all makes sense. It all comes back around. His nickname is Rocky because he is capable of the incapable. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It seemed like the whole place stopped. The whole arena stopped when Kamaru Usman got hit. He fell back and then the place erupted and no one could believe what they had just saw. It might have been one of the most memorable moments in the UFC, at least for me it was, to see, to witness it live, to be there as close as I was live, because I couldn't believe it. To me, it was so out of the ordinary for a fighter to be so dejected, but still be able to come back. But to be honest with you, it makes sense. Leon Edwards is a damn good fighter. And even if his heart is in it, it doesn't matter how you feel sometimes, what matters is what you do. And even though he may not have rallied back into the fight and got himself into a position where he felt like he was going to, you know, turn this fight around, he's still a damn good fighter who threw a damn good technique at the perfect time. And he knocked out Kamaru Usman and claimed the welterweight strap. This is great for the UFC that Leon Edwards beat Kamaru Usman because now that adds another element to the welterweight division. And it adds a rematch. Actually, it'll be a, a rivalry now because it'll be the third fight. So this could be another one of those great rivalries that we talked about. I think the rematch is going to be fascinating because when you look at their skill sets, the first fight, they were so young in their skill sets, but they were essentially who they were. Kamar Usman, a wrestler. Leon Edwards, a striker. And that fight played out the way you thought it would. Now when they fought this time, a lot of uncharacteristic things happened in the fight. In that first round, Leon Edwards totally dominated Kamaru Usman. From a wrestling and grappling perspective, something that you wouldn't imagine to happen. And I think even Usman didn't expect that to happen. And then when you look at rounds two through four, what happened in those rounds, Leon Edwards kind of took him off. And that's 
pretty uncharacteristic of how he can fight. So going into a third fight with these guys, I'm almost clueless as to what I think can happen because they're both capable of doing much more than what they showed. So I think a third fight is going to be epic. I think it could be one of the best fights in welterweight history. I hope it happens in London. I think London deserves this. They got a champion over there in the UK, and I hope they get this fight over there in London. Another what the fuck moment happened recently at UFC 279 where three fights got shuffled around due to Hamza Chamayev missing weight by seven and a half pounds. That's a baby. He missed weight by a baby. Now, obviously, Dana White revealed that Hamza Chamayev was suffering from cramping and was told by the doctors to stop making weight, which is why he probably hydrated a little bit. And he probably got down to maybe 173, 174 and then put a little bit of weight on so that he wasn't cramping and feeling so bad. So that's probably why his weight was seven pounds over. Now, I remember being on the morning weigh-in show when we found out Hamza Chemaev weighs in. He steps on the scale with a smirk. It says he's 178 pounds, and he just kind of shrugs it off and laughs it off. Now, while I thought that was disrespectful, I'm not taking that away. I'm not taking that back. I do think that was disrespectful. However, what I think more importantly was that I think he was embarrassed. I think he was embarrassed about missing weight so much that the only way to play it off was to act like he didn't care. And that's what we do sometimes. When you're embarrassed about something, you're ashamed of something, you act like you don't care. And I think that's what Hamza Chemaev did. Because you know how tough of a fighter he is. We know how good he is. But by missing weight so much and blowing this golden opportunity to fight Nate Diaz. In Nate Diaz's last fight, he blew it by missing weight. I think that embarrassed him, made him ashamed, which is why I thought he stood on that scale and shrugged it off. Now, because of that weight miss, they had to shuffle around the whole card. Sometimes people fail upwards. They fall forwards. Some things are a blessing in disguise. This was one of those things that's a blessing in disguise because I know how difficult it is to make matches happen with time. The UFC made three matches happen, three better matches, more compelling matches happen in under 24 hours. So instead of the original fights, we ended up seeing Hamza Chemaev and Kevin Holland. And it made sense because they had just gotten a fight backstage. We ended up seeing Li Jing Liang versus Daniel Rodriguez. A fight. Even though Li Jing Liang gave up some pounds, he was still game. I still thought he won the fight. And then we got to see a fight that we should have saw years ago. We got a chance, an opportunity to see Nate Diaz fight Tony Ferguson in Nate Diaz's last fight. I mean, that was just absolutely brilliant. It really doesn't get much better than that. The UFC did a good job of not only saving this card, but making this card better, proving to be the number one organization in the world. There's always crazy shit happening in the UFC. Now, what crazy-ass storyline is going to happen next in the UFC? What's going to happen? Ronda Rousey, she coming back. Henry Cejudo moving up the heavyweight. Or could it be, I don't know, Sean O'Malley fights a kangaroo. I don't know, but you never know in this crazy-ass world of MMA, and that's why we love it, because it's so unpredictable, it's so spontaneous, and it's so damn fun. So today we talked about, one, what are the best rivalries in UFC history and why they're so important? I thought I forgot about one, Dan Hardy and Herb Dean. Two, why is wrestling so effective in MMA? 
and I'm not talking about Brock Lesnar. And three, what the fuck moments? Kamaru Usman getting knocked out by Leon Edwards at UFC 278 and the craziness of three fights being switched at UFC 279. Oh, it was a fun time. Thanks for listening to Dean's God Answers. We'll be back in the near future with a new episode. But be sure to follow me on Twitter at Dean Thomas. Dean is spelled D-I-N, Thomas. And leave a rating and a review for the podcast. Tune in next time as I'll have the answer for everything going on in the UFC. You've got my answers. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.